You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday, and I'm pumped up. Because that means tomorrow and Sunday, I'm not in the the chamber, the gas chamber, otherwise known as my cubicle. Um, not a huge fan of my cubicle. It just it's in, it's slowly creeping in on me, slowly creeping in on me, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the season that is just days away, a week, one week away, um, and I still feel like I'm behind. I need to shoot my bow uh, more. All these things, but we're not going to worry about that today because we have a badass podcast with a returning guest, and uh, his name is Adam Parr, and he has been out in Colorado for two years. And the first year he didn't get to he didn't get to go hunt, but the second year, which was just like a couple weeks ago, he went out, and his very first year of elk hunting he was able to harvest a very nice bull and uh, there are a ton of cool stories that are all entwined in this one long story and you know just to let you know this is uh, the longest podcast that we've had just because the story is so awesome it's very cool and um, it kind of goes in just a little bit deeper uh, than than just elk hunting so there's you know like I said there's some other stories intertwined in there and uh, I had a pleasure you know there's times in this podcast where I just was listening to the story and completely forgot that I was actually recording a podcast so I hope you guys enjoy it but before we get into this week's hunter profile podcast though I shouldn't say this week's it's it's Friday and this is the third podcast that we put out this week but uh, before we get into the last podcast of the week um, let's hear what 
Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras has to say about about why most trail cameras typically fail. Well, there are a plethora of reasons uh, why trail cameras typically fail. But if I had to pick just one, it's water. And I think most of us could probably, you know, say that that's common sense. Moisture and water are the number one enemy of trail cameras. And the way that a lot of cameras are built these days, um, they're not made proficiently to keep water out. And that's something that we noticed right off the bat when we started designing the Exodus lift was, you know, we were, we were testing all these cameras on the market and, and realizing that so many of them were, were basically made to allow water in. And, and, you know, I don't know if they were designed that way or if it just was a poor design or whatever, but that's essentially what was making so many of these cameras fail. You have to think about a, a product that's sitting on a tree 365 days a year um, through all of the spring showers, through you know um, the freeze and thaw of winter, and all of these things that most of our consumer electronics don't have to go through. And it's pretty easy to see that that's the biggest reason why. There are a lot of things that we can do to make that not an issue. But typically when you're fighting for price and, and to become the best you know, price point product, that's hard to do. And I think that's where most of these cameras are falling short. All right. So by now you guys have heard every commercial that uh, I've done with Exodus. And they are growing. And a, a, a company typically doesn't grow in the hunting industry unless their product is good. Or they have a ton of marketing behind the uh, behind the product, or you know, some kind of celebrity endorsement, which they have none of that. And uh, I just want to say, you know, I am getting sponsored. They are paying me for airtime on this podcast. We all know that. But one thing I hope I'm getting across is the actual quality, the functionality. The overall, you know, just an overall quality trail camera, and that is Exodus trail cameras. And, uh, you know, when we started this, when we started this relationship, I wanted to have something to give back to you, the listeners. And that's why I, um, not, not me, but we, Exodus and myself, agreed on this discount. The, you know, when you guys go to their, website when you decide to make a purchase you can receive $20 off of your order by entering the code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers no spaces and that gets you the discount but I've had a ton of success with their trail cameras already um, you know not that this matters but I've had another brand I've had three trail cameras fail this year now that's not the first that's this wasn't the first year that I used them but in my opinion a trail camera needs to last longer than three years you, when you when you pay 200 300 dollars for a trail camera my opinion it should last three years at least and when you put an SD card in it it should take pictures that's it's very simple so yeah anyway I'm gonna get off my soapbox and uh, let's get in to this week's podcast with Adam Parr on his first elk hunt ever all right on the phone with me for the second time 
is all the way from Colorado, Adam Parr. How are you doing today, Adam? Hey, Dan, doing well. How are you? You know, I, uh, I'm happy for you. I'm really happy for you because uh, the other day I was flipping through, you know, me and you, we, we, we've been talking via email and on the phone a little bit about coming out, uh, me coming out to uh, Colorado and uh, either mule hunting, mule deer hunting with you or uh, elk hunting with you. And uh, we thought we had a plan put together this year, uh, kind of last minute it fell through, but you were able to go out and slam a huge elk. And I was flipping through, uh, you know, Facebook and I'm just like, holy cow, he did it. And I was so, I was so jacked for you, man. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It uh, all worked out and I'd say luck played into it, but you know, that's hunting and how it goes and not bad for the first first week elk hunting so um, uh, i was right. definitely stoked i was happy super happy and we're you know we're going to get into all that here in just a little bit but um you know this is your second time on the show so remind people who you work for yeah so i work for quiet cat i think we did the episode back in the winter um but yep. we we're based in eagle colorado and we make off-road electric vehicles and now we just put out a new mountain bike that's also electric powered so we market heavily to hunters and outdoors people as a way to access properties and, you know, just get around quietly, quickly and, and scent free. So I'm the head of sales for them and, and, uh, really enjoy it. So, um, Perfect. yeah. Perfect. All right. So we're going to backtrack just a little bit and we're not going to talk right away about this. Uh, we're, the we're going to talk the hunt, right? Yeah. So, I want to talk to you about a little bit about the the three or four years leading up to this point. All right. So when you, before you moved out to Colorado, you lived in Michigan and what were you doing in Michigan? So in Michigan, I worked, um, I graduated college and I started working for a solar company and that was kind of like my first real job out of college. I was doing sales for them and really enjoyed it. And, um, so I, I'm, I'm an avid whitetail hunter and, um, you know, I, I pretty much stayed pretty close to Michigan for hunting, started doing some out of state trips. Um, I don't know when, probably 2012 kind of area. So I haven't really been hunting out of state too long, started kind of heading down to Ohio and then most recently started hunting Kansas, but, you know, grew up hunting ever since I could start legally hunting at the age of 12, I've been all about it. So, um, I try to spend as much time in the woods as possible and, and, uh, you know, just super stoked to be out there every year and really enjoy it. Perfect. Perfect. So, so, you know, you grew up a whitetail hunter, you know, you, you know, what kind of drew you towards Colorado to, to make that move from Michigan to Colorado? You know, I started going out, my buddy's dad has a place out here and we'd take, I'd be out for work sometimes and, and a vacation here and there. And every time I go out to Colorado, it's one of those things where, you know, the mountains just suck you in. I mean, you know how it is going out, you hunting in Idaho. It's just something about the mountains that just draws you there. And every time I'd go is one of those things where I just never wanted to leave. And, um, so I always kind of talked about, you know, Hey, if I ever move from Michigan, 
the only place I could ever see myself moving to would be Colorado just because I love it. Got, you know, people, I have some family in Denver. So it's just one of those things that, you know, you dream about, but you never really think you're going to do it (laughs) sort of thing. Um, so after I left, left the job at the solar company, I, um, had plans to start my own business in Northern Michigan and move up there. But, um, kind of my girlfriend and I started talking and she's like, we should just move to Colorado. And I'm like, uh, are you serious? And I was like, <laughs> are you, are you like, joking me right now? Cause that's a mean joke. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know, okay, let's do it. Um, so we just kind of started putting the pieces in place to actually make the move happen. I sold my house, um, sold a lot of stuff I had and, and, uh, you know, kind of packed up and, and headed West and that kind of dream, that far-fetched dream became a reality. So did you, you know, did you have any plans as you, you know, like, or was it just one of these things where I'm going to sell my shit and I'm going to move to Colorado? Yeah, kind of a little bit of both. I, I mean, we knew we wanted to move there, so I was anticipating the move, but I wasn't going to move out unless I had um, a job opportunity lined up. Okay. So I wanted that in place because the living costs out here are just pretty much twice as high as Michigan. And, um, so I wanted to have something in place. So I was doing the whole interview thing, flying back and forth and just so happened to be, you know, um, out here in Colorado was quiet cat and everything worked out with them. And it's, I work in the outdoor and hunting industry. So I'm, you know, I, I can't, I kind of pinch myself sometimes where, and I'm working in the hunting industry now, which is a huge passion of mine. And now I'm living in Colorado. So I'm just so thankful to, to be out here and, um, you know, just kind of put the pieces in place to make it happen. Right. Right. So you move out there, you know, you got the, the girlfriend, um, you, you move out there and, and that would have been last year, right? Yeah. Last, uh, June. So last June. a little, little over a year, um, okay. you know, from now. Yep. So the first hunting season, you know, June is really close to September when you think about it. And, um, you know, you knew, you probably knew that you wanted to hunt mule deer and hunt elk and, you know, do some other things while you're out in Colorado. Talk to us a little bit about why you decided, or maybe you didn't decide, maybe why that first season in Idaho or excuse me, in Colorado didn't come together for you from, you know, from hunting at all. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple factors that went into me not hunting elk or mule deer last year. Um, first and foremost, um, mule deer, you just, everything's a draw around here where I'm at. So you really can't get that tag, um, at least an archery tag for the units I want to hunt at least for a few years. So muleys are out of the question. Now elk is an over the counter, um, you know, you can get either sex or you can get a cow tag or a bull tag here. There's a ton of over-the-counter units for archery in Colorado, but it was, it was one of those things where moving out in June, I just, and, and coming from Michigan, all the equipment I have, um, you know, it's really geared towards whitetail hunting. Um, yep. whereas the, the mountains out here, just, it's completely different and you got to prepare for different things. You got to have added gear. You got to know the area. Um, and just a lot of things that, that go into it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like when you're hunting in Michigan or Midwest or whatever, if you go out for a hunt, 
you might walk maybe a mile at the most. Um, but most of the time I was walking like 400 yards at most. And I could, yeah. if I got cold or I ran out of food or water, I could go back to the truck. You know, right. it's not the case usually with, with hunting out here. So I just didn't have all the gear, um, you know, the good packs, boots, better, um, you know, clothing as far as, um, you know, gear is concerned. So that was another factor. And then I was still, uh, by the time the tag came around, I'd still be a non-resident by the time okay. the season opened. So I was going to be paying that $600, $600 tag or whatever it ends up to be. So I kind of looked at it as like, I'm a first year elk hunter, or I would be a first year elk hunter. I don't have the gear I need. I haven't had time to scout. Um, the tag's going to be more expensive. I can put that towards gear that I need for the next season. Yep. And um, so I just decided to take the year off, um, you know, start buying some of the stuff that I needed. And then I kind of focused on my Kansas tag that I had because their season opened up in September. Okay. So I kind of kind of just dropped everything here and just was spending a lot of time out in Kansas. But that was kind of like my thought process as, as of to why I did not hunt last fall. In Colorado. Yeah, in Colorado. For, for so, elk. Yep. Yeah, just just really, really quick, though. How was your uh, Kansas season last year? Can, Kansas season was great. I, uh, I ended up killing a 150-inch 10-point on public nice. land. Oh, I actually nice. have two farms out there that I could hunt private land and had some really good encounters. I went out you know, scouted and knocked on doors, got access to a couple of good farms and, and I was the only one hunting them. So again, it was like one of those things, like I hit the lottery, I'm dreaming sort of thing and lots of good bucks out there. So I really put a lot of time in. I didn't end up killing one on the private pieces I had, but I killed that buck on public and, um, my biggest buck to date with a bow. So I was extremely happy and, and, uh, had a great season. Nice. Nice. So, for for September then you know September rolls around in uh, Colorado you're not you're not mule deer hunting you're not elk hunting did you did you take that time to I guess you you'd been out there you know uh, with your buddies but did you take the time to do research on what zones you thought about hunting maybe your local zone talk. Um, you know, talk a little bit about what you did. Cause I, I'm sure you just didn't sit there and wait for next year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, I started, I started doing a lot with Google, Google earth and doing a lot of digital scouting units around here, close to town. Obviously I wanted to learn a little bit better just because I want somewhere close to go, you know, for a weekend hunt or whatever. So yeah, I started doing a lot of digital scouting and then obviously living here, I have the luxury of, you know, doing a summer camping trip or, right. you know, just getting out there when I want, um, and putting some boots on the ground. But to be honest, I really, you know, just elk wasn't even really on my mind. I mean, I thought about it, but when I think about it now, I just really was kind of zoned out of it. I was so focused on Kansas that elk just kind of took the back seat. I kind of just blocked it out of my mind altogether. And I was like, I'm going to focus on this. And then, you know, I've got all spring and summer to, to really put some boots on the ground. So I didn't do a whole lot of kind of boots on the ground last fall, but, um, you know, starting the spring with shed season and summer, that's when I really kind of jumped into to getting out there. Okay. So, before we start talking about like elk hunting strategy that you, that you kind of went through, I want to talk about 
the physical difference between hunting in Michigan or Kansas to coming up and hunting, you know, high elevation. Um, what was your first experience like when, you know, when you were out there maybe doing some scouting or like you said, you know, looking for some sheds or, or up there, I, I know you had some, you know, some experience out there previously, but was it kind of different when you're, when you're scouting? For sure. And, and not only scouting, just, just being out here at elevation or at higher elevation, like where, where I sleep is 7,000 feet. So it's a huge difference from, um, Michigan, obviously, and everyone gets affected by elevation in different ways. The one thing I really noticed from my change from Michigan to, um, to Colorado here is just how dry the air is. And whether you're just sitting or walking or doing whatever it, you, your body requires so much more water than what you're used to. Whether you think you're not sweating out here and that's the kind of the danger that some people can get into. Um, but you, the water content that you have to take in, that was one of the things that I really, um, you know, noticed from day one was just how much water I had to consume, whether I'm just sitting at home or whether I'm hiking through the mountains. So that was, that was a big factor to me. Um, and then obviously the elevation just takes away the oxygen. So anything you're doing physically, it's like when I go home now to Michigan, I feel like I can breathe, you know, sort of thing. I go home and I'm like, wow, I have all this energy. And, um, but when you're up at elevation, um, you get winded so quick. And so I, I, I'm a pretty active guy. You know, I try to stay in pretty good shape, hit the weight room try to run as much as possible. And, and, um, so I do, I do physical training. I don't, I don't take it to the nth degree that, you know, there's all this hype kind of around the industry right now to, yeah. you know, you know how it is, but yeah. I, I don't think you have to be an extremely good, you know, best shape your life sort of thing to kill an elk, but you know, you definitely do need to prepare. I think one of the things I've learned kind of mostly is, is just your boots and, and how those fit and, and, um, you know, getting your body used to, to tackling this terrain, not just physically, but how it's going to take an impact or a toll on your body, like wearing down, getting blisters, strengthening your ankles, that sort of thing. So, um, right. there's just a whole bunch of different factors, but yeah, certainly moving out here did force me to kind of pick up my game a little bit, but, um, you know, it's tough to prepare for if you're coming from out of state, you know, it's just, right. you never know how you're going to be affected. I think, I think you said in the one podcast, you got, you got bad elevation sickness, I think. Um, yeah, the one that time was you came a, out, or, yeah, that was on just a, tr- a trip where I, you know, we tried yeah. to uh, tackle a couple 14ers while we were out there, mm-hmm. and uh, I got some uh, elevation sickness because uh, we we came into Denver uh, late one night. The next morning, yeah. I was up, at, you know, driving up to twelve thousand feet, got at a trailhead. And then, or it was like 10,000 or 11,000 feet, got it to the trailhead and started hiking up and my body wasn't acclimated yet. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of brings me to a question is, you know, how long from the move, uh, you know, because when you go on a hunting trip, there's a little bit of adrenaline that plays a part. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you get out of the truck, you got your pack on, you got a little bit of adrenaline going that helps you get to that, you know, the maybe gets you to the camp the, the first night or whatever, but yeah. you know, how long did it take you to get truly acclimated to living at 7,000 feet? 
for me personally, I felt like it was at least a couple weeks, you know, and yeah. again, everyone's, everyone's affected by it differently, but I just wasn't sleeping well. Um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't fall asleep. I it was just kind of tossing and turning all night. I was constantly chugging water, but for me, I'd say it took a couple weeks. Um, okay. now again, like you mentioned, the, the adrenaline thing that can play a whole different, different, uh, you know, kind of mindset, I guess, and kind of overcome that. But yeah, it's something to definitely look out for. And if one thing I would recommend to guys coming out for that first time is just take it easy on those, on those first two days. Don't try to go, 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 you know, hike up the tree line, you know, cover all this ground, you know, take it slow, acclimate yourself, look at it, look at, look at it as more of like a marathon instead of a hundred yard dash. And I think it's going to pay off uh, as far as keeping your morale up, keeping your, you know, the blisters down, keeping your body from wearing down, just go easy, just be out there, be in the game. And, um, you know, it'll come together from there. Right. Right. And that's kind of, you know, and that's, that's kind of the difficult part where, you know, someone like you now you're, you're out there, you know, if you mm-hmm. wanna, you're acclimated or for someone who may have a two week hunt as opposed to a four, you know, a four day hunt, um, that, you know, that can be, that can, if you, if you try to go up there blazing, it's mm-hmm. just going to drain your energy. And yeah, uh, so I don't know. It, yeah. it sucks because it's almost like you, you need a day just to acclimate. And I, and I talked to uh, a guy who, uh, drives from Pennsylvania, I think, to go out to Colorado elk hunting, and yep. they they always spend one night in Denver to get at least, or you know, up into the mountains in some hotel just to get acclimated, have a good breakfast, and make sure they're properly hydrated and not so tired, you know, from yeah, you know, the the, the all night drive basically to get out there. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. And just to give you a quick quick story, I uh. I had a buddy come out for shed season last year and he actually just drove all night from Michigan. And, uh, so he really didn't get any time to acclimate. We woke up the next morning and, and me not really knowing everything about, you know, how elevation affects people in different ways. But anyways, we went out like balls to the wall hiking. We got up to this basin. We're going to glass this and we ended up glassing the shed across the basin. So anyways, we had to go like a mile around, um, long story short, we got into a tangled mess, had to go up all through all these ravines. And I basically about, you know, got close to killing him. Not really, but <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, right. it affected him so much hard, uh, you know, worse than, than me because I'm used to it. I don't really think anything of it. I'm like, Oh, I'm good. You know, but he, you know, and he's in really good shape and it just tore him down. He's like, man, this is one of the hardest things I've ever done sort of thing. So it, it really does help just to take it slow, even though, you know, it kind of sucks and you've only got limited time, but it's going to make the rest of your week so much better. Right. Right. So now let's, now we, you know, we kind of covered that. Or the one question I wanted to ask you is, and it's not necessarily related to hunting, just, just from a move standpoint. Now you had a girlfriend when you moved out there um, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you had a couple friends in, did, did you have a couple friends already in the Eagle area or were they across state? I didn't have anybody right here in Eagle, but my uh, cousins and my aunt and uncle live in Denver or outside okay. of Denver. 
so at least I had them, you know, they were a great support system for me flying back and forth and just super accommodating on, you know, making the move and all that stuff. But, you know, there's still a couple hours away from where we're at here, but just having them was huge. And then I also have a buddy who lives in uh, Southwest Colorado, which is down where I killed, killed the bull I shot this year. So it, it did make it a lot easier knowing that I did have people out here and have kind of that support system behind, behind me. Perfect. Perfect. So, you know, when, when you got, cause I'm, I moved, uh, I just up and left and went to, uh, I got a job in, uh, I was working in Des Moines at the time and I got a job in Alabama and, okay. uh, and it was a, a complete culture shock for me. Um, was there any kind of a culture shock for you moving from Michigan to, uh, Colorado or, I mean, did you get kind of homesick at all with a, with a big move like that? Yeah, no, I mean, you do a little bit, but the way I look at it is, you know, flights are pretty cheap and, and I'm only a plane ride away if I want to get back for a weekend. So, and everyone's so connected now. I mean, um, FaceTime and Facebook and phones and all that. So I I never really got homesick and, and partly because, you know, I knew this is what I wanted to do and, and this is what I want. This is the life I want to live in an area I want to live in. So the culture shock really wasn't there. I guess the only thing, you know, everyone's so active out here. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, you pretty much have to be, if you want to, if you want to enjoy like weekend activities, I mean, just even going camping, um, you know, again, the elevation, you, it, it affects you. So uh, just going on a hike, if you're, if you're just doing whatever outside, going mountain biking, uh, running, it, it, you have to be in good shape to enjoy an outdoor lifestyle here and um you know everyone's just so healthy and active and i guess that was the only culture shock to me compared to michigan where it's not the case i guess um you know just not not, people aren't like they are out here so but it's a good culture shock so it's been it's been really good all right now hunting all right all right so kansas came and went you know you said you went on a, a shed hunt um was this a shed hunt in an area that that you were hunting? I mean, when did you start putting the boots on the ground to to start looking at the areas that you were going to hunt? Yeah, so shed season, a lot of the units down here, you can't even start picking up sheds until March 15th. Colorado, they put in a um, law a few years ago that, you know, because people are pressure, pressuring animals before they're done wintering and yeah. So you really can't even get out there from January 1st to um, March 15th. I mean, I guess you can still be out there, but you really can't be shed hunting. You can't be caught picking up sheds or anything. So I, I didn't even really start till after then. So, but where I'm shed hunting, I was shedding, shed hunting down in that area where I killed the bull this year. But where I'm shed hunting is not really, it's not the area you're actually hunting, at least for right. archery season. Right. So I, I do, I love shed hunting. I shed hunted it all in Michigan. Um, I do it in Kansas. I just love to do it because it's good exercise and I love finding antlers. I can never have too many. That's just, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's my whole thing. So, um, when I was doing that, you're kind of looking at some areas and you can see kind of like, you know, you're usually at the bottom of a basin or, you know, that's going to go up the tree line. So I guess that helped out a little bit. Um, but really when I was shed hunting, I wasn't really focused on scouting for the 
upcoming hunting season as far as looking for rut sign and wallows and stuff like that. Now, is that because where they drop their antlers and where they will be at during, you know, September are two different places? Typically, yeah. I mean, it's usually a lot lower elevation just because of the snow, snowfall. And then two, you're going to be, you're going to find a lot of the animals on south facing areas where there's going to be less snow because the sun's hitting it. And where I've found, um, at least from my small hunting experience so far and scouting, everything's on the north. You know, you're really looking for dark timber on a north facing slope. Um, you know, and, and that's where elk are going to be predominantly bedding. And at that time in September, they're going to be closer to tree line. So they're going to be at higher elevations. Whereas in the winter, during when they're dropping their antlers, they're going to be down much lower uh, south facing slope is, is what I know from what I've been doing. Okay. All right. So, so you started, I mean, I mean, you, you did some shed hunting. When did mm-hmm. you, when did you start take, you know, start narrowing down the areas that you could hunt because you're a resident, you can hunt. Yeah. I mean, you still have to abide by draw units and yeah. you know, all the same rules and regulations that a non-resident has to, has to go through. It's just that your tags yeah. are cheaper, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, how, how did you narrow down? Did you go out and glass? Did you go out and um, walk, you know, this summer sometime, uh, get the boots on the ground that way to narrow down, you know, where you, where you felt you were going to go shed hunting or uh, go elk hunting at? I did a little bit, but not to the extent that I wanted to. So I, I knew I wanted to hunt around home here in this unit around Eagle. And so you kind of, we did some camping trips and we hiked around a little bit, but it wasn't like serious scouting. I would, I would say, um, I was kind of the way with my work schedule and, and, and kind of the summer and going into early fall, it just gets pretty busy leading up to hunting season. Mm -hmm. I just, as far as like getting the boots on the ground, it was pretty, pretty tough and limited. Um, now, so that was more along around my area here. Now I'm really fortunate to have one of my good friends. His dad has a cabin in um, the southwest part of Colorado. It's a small private tract of land, but it's up backs up to National Forest. So that's where I really wanted to focus because of the advantage that would give me of being able to you know hunt out of a cabin, so to speak. Gotcha. He has a small tract of land. We don't hunt on there, but it's just the access, you know, it, which makes it awesome. Um, not what that is, other people is, can't get to it, but it, it, it just makes it easier, I guess. Right. So what is it about that access that gives you the advantage? So, uh, it's, it's just, um, so the, the road is actually, a um, there's about a mile of private road that only he has the key to. So it, it kind of gives you, Again, people can still get up there, but with that not being able to drive a vehicle up to where we can, it makes a huge difference. So being able to hunt out of there, and I know this isn't going to be the typical scenario of a lot of guys coming out of state, but I just so happened to, you know, know somebody and, and it it all worked out that way. So, so I started 
I really only went out one time and I'd been up there before and I, I knew kind of the general lay of the land, but again, I hadn't really put a lot of time in as far as walking around and scouting. Now, mid July, I think it is what it was. I did go up there, went down on a Friday night, spent the night at my buddy's place. And the next morning I drove up to the cabin, brought some trail cameras with me and, um, just, did a probably about a four hour scouting session just right around the cabin there. And the cabin's right about 10,000, um, between 10,000 and 10,200. Okay. So we're up there pretty good. And so I just left from there started walking up a ridge line, just kind of wanted to get up the tree line basically so I could glass these two basins on, yeah. on both sides just to kind of get a feel of the land and, and you know, what's going on. So anyways, um, got up there, got up the tree line a couple hours later, and just started glassing and you know saw some cows down there and then i glassed up a nice six by six bull right at tree line so i was like cool you know um first time out i'd call that a success yep so um you know went over to the other side didn't really see anything over there but it just kind of gave me a good feel of what i was possibly going to be getting into this coming fall and hung up a trail camera didn't get around to checking it actually until I started hunting in September. So I really didn't really have anything to go off of that. But, um, right. but yeah, it, it made a huge difference to be able to just get out there. And even if it was for a day, just to know what you're getting into as far as like physical requirements, yeah. you know, maybe an access path, what's your game plan going to be a little bit, um, mm-hmm. learn where some rubs are, maybe some trails. And, you know, for the guys that are coming out for a week hunt, if, if you can do it, I know it's tough, but if you can come out for a long weekend in the summer or whenever, it's going to, I know at least for me, it, it, it made a huge difference just knowing a little bit about the property and, and yeah. kind of that national forest and, and everything. So if you can do that and you're going to invest a week and all the money to come out here, you know, it might make sense if you can do a quick weekend trip and get out there and at least get a lay of the land. So that's right. one thing I would recommend if you can do it. Right. For sure. For sure. I know that, uh, this year, um, I don't know where necessarily I'm going to go hunting at yet for elk. I know I'm going somewhere, but, uh, mm-hmm. I know that this summer my family has a planned trip out West. So my goal is to drive out there, spend some family time, but have a night, like a day, yeah. a night, a day to go out and maybe do some scouting on my own. And, uh, you know, dedicate some time to, to just scouting. It's going to make it, yeah, all the world a difference. And, you know, that's what I'm going to plan on. Cause I, I'm going to have my Iowa tag for next year. Um, not this fall, but the following fall, you know, and I put in for yep. four years on that thing. I'm not just going to show up the week I'm hunting and, you know, expect to kind of, you know, spend the first couple of days of scouting or at least figure out where I'm going to be exactly. Right. I'm going to go out there in the spring and put boots on the ground and, spend a long weekend and and it's i think it's gonna it'll definitely pay off when i show up in november following year or the following you know six months or whatever heck yeah you'll have to come shed hunting with me when you come down all right man let's do it yeah uh, all right let's let's pencil it in dan (laughs) and uh uh if you uh like i said we'll talk we'll talk after the podcast but if you want to plan a trip out this way heck yeah you know what to call all right. All right. So you, you did some scouting at your buddy's place. You, you saw 
what I'm interested in and not necessarily just, you know, Hey, there was elk on this, on this uh, small tract of land, but what else, yeah. did, anything cool? Did, what else did you see on your trail cameras? So, yeah. Um, so like I mentioned, I didn't get around to checking. I wanted to go back after I hung that trail camera in mid July. I wanted to get back like late July or a couple weeks later just to see what was going on there. But I ended up having to, and I knew this was coming anyways, but I had, I was in Texas for three weeks for work for a bunch of shows. So from August 1st to like August 24th, I was gone. I wasn't even in the state anymore. So I basically made myself a flatlander again and coming back (laughs) opening weekend, you know, is that next weekend I was kind of just, you know, I wasn't prepared, I guess. Um, so anyways, I didn't get around to checking the camera, but I checked it when I was, our first day out of our hunt, this week hunt we did, I grabbed it on the way up and we got back to camp that night and checked it out. And we had a pretty good bull on the camera. I don't know if it was the one I saw when I was scouting, but it was good six by six and um, had mule deer on there, had a bunch of cows, smaller bulls and coyote lynx, um, rabbits. I mean, every, everything out there is, it was really cool. So, um, one was, yeah, yeah, I would definitely shoot him. He is a good wide, wide buck. I, I hung this camera on a trail. Um, I wanted to try to find a wallow, and I really wanted to get down there to where I saw that bull, but it was just like going to be one of those things that was going to take another couple hours to get down there. So I was like, yeah, I'll throw it up on this trail. It's pretty good. And, and uh, yeah, I ended up getting some bulls on there, and just cool to see. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's talk about you know you you, you kind of located some some bulls. Did you know then that that I mean how many how many elk can you kill in a year in Colorado? Just one. You can only shoot one bull. So uh, and I I I'm not a hundred. I'm still trying to um, learn the the whole regulations. It's so confusing. But um, yeah, you can only shoot one bull. So I I bought an either sex tag so that that allowed me for over-the-counter unit archery season i could if a bull came by i could shoot that as long as it was a legal bull four points or more on one side and okay. i think a five inch brow or or a five inch brow or i could shoot a cow okay and that's how that tag tag worked which i recommend you can get a cow tag i don't think it's that much cheaper but um if you wanted to save some money and just shoot a cow then you can get that as well. But um, the way it works, you can only shoot one bull. And I, now I can't go out in rifle season and get another bull tag. Um, I can only get a cow tag if if there is one available or I can get one like over the counter or whatever. So yeah, yeah. I right. believe that's how it works. <laughs> I'm still so learning are it you, all. Are you planning on going out and uh, trying to get a uh, cow? I want yet? to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, that's or one thing. Or hunt at all? Muley's probably out of the equation. Like I said, I think most of that stuff is draw. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Or or you could find maybe a leftover tag, you know, one of those deals where, you know, it was a draw, but, you know, not all of them got purchased. Right. So, um, but I think I'm going to concentrate on Muley's next year if I can get that tag. But um, I do want to go, <laughs> believe it or not, I do want to go out and try to shoot a cow. Only problem is I don't have a rifle. I've just been a bow hunter all my life. So, um, I got to get my hands on that 
which some people said I could use. So really that's not a problem. It's just a matter of finding the time and if I can get out and I'll pretty much have to give away all the meat if I do get one because <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty well stocked for this year already. Nice. Nice. All right. So it's, it's, it's week time, you know, it's that time. It's, uh, it's time to start head down to, uh, you know, start your, your hunt. You know, you got back from Texas, got your gear in order. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, you got to camp. What, what's going through? Cause you went with a buddy, right? Yep. Yep. All right. So talk to us a little bit about your, you know, what your goals were, what, you know, what the plan was for that, maybe that first day or two. Yeah. Well, before I get to the actual week hunt, I just kind of want to back up and into the yeah. opening weekend, the week. Okay. So it'd be the weekend prior. And this just helps kind of paint the picture of, of the whole season, I guess. Um, so anyways, I got back from Texas and I really didn't really have a game plan. I didn't have any where that I really had picked out around here, but so I didn't end up actually going out to hunt opening morning after I got back. So I slept in kind of just recovered from the trip. And I decided that afternoon, I was like, man, I got to get out there. I got to hunt, you know? So mm-hmm. packed up all my stuff. I was just going to do an overnight, you know, Saturday. Um, I'll hunt Sunday morning and maybe throughout the afternoon and then come back. So, so I got all my gear around, packed everything up through the tenant, sleeping bag, some food, whatever, drove to an area about an hour and a half away, hiked in, um, you know, like a mile or so, but um, so anyways, I get up there in the evening, I set up and I don't really know where I'm going. Again, I'm pretty much going in blind and I started finding sign and, and I was like, well, if I could just get down here on the map and I use Onyx maps, I don't know. Um, that's such a valuable tool. We can talk on that later or whatever, but I use Onyx maps. So I kind of picked out a spot I wanted to go to just kind of on a whim, got up there and I was kind of racing against the clock. This is my first elk hunt ever. And I don't know, I've never set up my tent before. I've never, you know, put that together. I've never used a sleeping bag. I've never used my water filter. I've never done anything like, I've never done a backpack hunt before by myself, you know, in the mountains. So this is, I almost looked at it as like, all right, this is a trial run for my week hunt, you know, coming up in, you know, seven or eight days or whatever it was. Right. So I just kind of wanted to, thinking you know hey i'm just gonna get out there test out the equipment hike around get back used to elevation and and uh you know if i see anything great if not no worries so um anyway set up camp spent the night and um woke up and right as i was setting up camp bugles started going off i was like wow this is crazy i picked a pretty good spot and now there's just bulls just fired up everywhere i could hear them on this? both sides of me this this was um whatever opening day i think or no yeah uh 27th i think of august okay. i think that was opening day whatever that last saturday in august was i think it's the 27th or something like that um so that's not terribly typical i don't think um at least from my understanding usually they're bugling more kind of later in september so I got up there and I was like, wow, you know, and they bugled all night, you know, as I was setting up the tent, as I was laying there by the fire, <laughs> as I was trying to go to bed, they're just, they're just not quitting. You know, it's crazy up until like midnight, they were just 
it was it was insane so i was like wow this isn't real life but i'll take it you know <laughs> sort of thing <laughs> um, so i didn't really get a lick of sleep at all i i stayed up all night pretty much i couldn't sleep very well i was just too fired up and uh so anyways the next morning i was like literally i woke up probably a half hour before it got light and i was like I, i'm just gonna start hunting from the tent you know yeah. i'll start doing some cow calls and and just start here why not i mean i'm in them um right where i slept which was probably a bad rookie move but whatever you know i didn't know what i was doing so anyways um literally two minutes from when i got set up and i had arrow knocked i was like you know i'm in them right now so i might as well knock an arrow so i started calling and then like two minutes after that i had a five by five come over the hill like 75 yards away i was like really oh my god you know so hunting's easy <laughs> yeah piece <laughs> of cake right you know so he came over the hill he didn't actually come into my calls i at least what i think he was kind of more i think he got spooked from another hunter right at first light and he kind of came over this ridge i hit him with cow calls he stopped looked in my direction but then he just kind of kept going down in this draw and down to where the other ones were bugling so i was like okay you know whatever i was like holy shit you know got into them right right at first light and wow you know couldn't believe it so so this was your first you know 75 yards for an elk five by five elk pretty yeah i mean what was going through your head what were your emotions <laughs> when you had this your very first encounter with an elk is a bull elk yeah no it was nuts i was it was like the first time I was deer hunting, I guess, if I could paint a picture. I mean, this is a whole new animal. It's bigger. It's crazier. I don't know. I was just, I was so rattled. I couldn't even, I mean, <laughs> I started shaking, you know, it's like that first hunt all over again. Right. So, um, so yeah, I was just completely fired up and he ran off and whatever, you know, I was like, wow, success right on the first day. I chalked that one up for a win. And, yeah. uh, so so yeah, I was fired up. I was like, wow, I'm doing it. I'm elk hunting. And, and I've been an avid whitetail hunter. Hunting's not new to me, but just whole elk in general and learning everything is just a whole different ball game. So, yeah. um, so anyways, I, that hunt, I, I kind of moved in the direction he was and got to that little draw he, he dropped down into and I could still hear the bulls down there. I was, I let out a couple bugles myself and they'd answer back and I was, ready to ready to go and get after them so i was like well i want to try just doing a practice draw i typically do that on every hunt you know knock an arrow draw back in the stand or wherever i'm at and just yep. do a draw and you know make sure everything's good and feels good and whatever so i drew the bow back bought a brand new bow this last summer and um you know i got a new bow because i wanted to be able to shoot something that was quicker you know more energy um, flatter shooting so I could reach out there a little bit further and um, I drew back the bow I was halfway let down and my cam snapped oh um, Jesus <laughs> yeah yeah so I went from bow hunter to bird watcher pretty darn quick that morning so um, so yeah I was I was out of the game from that point on on that oh hunt so I'd hiked all the way in there got into them you know set up camp started hunting and then that happened um so, come to so find out happened? i guess it was a factory so i took it um took it to the dealer here and he said it was a factory defect in the cam like a bad yeah. cast or something 
Yeah. Um, and uh, that's what, what caused it. I'm still working through the issues and whatnot and getting that taken care of. Um, so long story short, and that hunt was done. Yeah. Which, which was a huge bummer. Um, right. you know, to have your equipment fail on you, um, you know, when you've got, you're into such a good scenario right there and that happens, it, it just kind of, <laughs> it took the, took the wind out of the sail sort of thing. Right. Right. So, so yeah, that was pretty tough. That I just, so, so I just wanted to kind of tell that little right. caveat cause it plays into my week hunt, um, coming up. Right. Right. And that's, that's crazy. So you went from, Oh my God, there is a chance that my very first elk hunt, very first day out, I might kill an elk. You, I mean, you had yeah. to be thinking that, right? Oh yeah, I definitely was. I was going in, I was going in after them. They were probably the bulls that were bugling and answering back and just going off were probably less than, I would say 250 yards away. I couldn't oh. see them cause I was hunting in thick timber, but they were damn close. Oh my Lord. And you were, I mean, were you in good position? The only thing I would have had to done is like drop down, you know, obviously the wind's a huge factor. So I would have had to drop down, kind of go around them. So it wouldn't have been just like a straight 300 yard shot or however far they were. Yeah. I was going to have yeah. to, you know, make a move to go all the way around. It might've taken me an hour or something to get over there. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was in them. I, I really did think something could happen. Like at least I would you know, move in and maybe get, maybe get a shot, you know, at least I was, I was feeling that I, I wasn't sure if I would kill something, but I did have some confidence for sure. So other than, other than that, that one bull that kind of made his way through, did you see any of the other uh, bulls that were bugling? I didn't No, I, uh, so at that point I was like, man, if I, <laughs> I want to go after these bulls, right. Just to kind of maybe get some experience. But I was like, if I actually did get into them and go over there and, you know, make a move and be able to get within like 40 yards or whatever, and I can't shoot them, I, that would just be, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to put myself in that situation, like being stuck there with a broken bow and there's nothing I could do. So, right. Right. So I just, I headed back to camp. I really wasn't that far away from my tent. I was maybe like 200 yards from my tent at this point. And, yeah. um, so I just went back and packed up and, and made the mile and a half hike back out of there. Well, got the bow fixed now. Um, well, that's another thing. I didn't get the bow fixed. So, um, the problem was it was just such bad timing because I was going on that hunt the next weekend. And, um, the guy that runs the archery shop, he was out of town until like that Wednesday. Uh, I couldn't do anything about it till he got in. So I dropped it off Wednesday. I was like, man, if you can get it fixed before this weekend, it'd be awesome. Like maybe they overnight you a cam or whatever, get done. And he's like, well, you know, I'll try my best. But I was like, you know, worst case scenario, if, that, if it's not going to happen. Um, I actually, I, I pretty much knew in my mind. Um, cause I called him on Monday. I knew it wasn't going to get fixed in time for this trip. Right. So I had already had a backup plan and, and, um, in place. So I grabbed the, my Hoyt um, that I've been using for the last, I bought it new in 08. So I set that thing back up. It wasn't ready to shoot. I had to do some things to it, but put a rest and sight back on it. So I st just started practicing with that, trying to get used to it again. And, and um, that was my game plan. I was going to go into my week hunt that I planned and taking the time off for with a backup bow. Right. So... 
So I was kind of already, you know, a little bit against not saying that this bow is not as good as the other one, but definitely is not, you know, not as quick, not as, you know, smooth, all that stuff. So, right. so yeah. All right. So, um, you, my, my next question is, was this the same zone that, uh, that you were hunting in or, I mean, so, or was this two different zones? So the, where I went opening weekend is different from where I went the, uh, for my week hunt. Um, so I was, I was just hunting a zone here close to home and, um, something I could get too quick. And so, yeah, it would be a different one than the one I actually killed the bull in. Was that a, was that a statewide tag then? Or how, how's that work? Yeah. So it's an over the counter unit. So any over the counter units. Yep. Yep. So any, if you buy an over the counter archery tag, you can hunt any over the counter unit. That's how it works. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. All right, cool. All right. So, um, now it's, you know, you got, you at least got a bow your, you, you know, now we can go to where that, that original question was, all right, you get to the camp, you're, you know, you're probably still pretty high off of the, you know, the encounters, the bugling and all that stuff that happened the previous week, weekend. Mm, Now, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about that, you know, what your strategy was. I mean, your buddy obviously had, had some experience in that area. Um, talk to me a little bit about what the game plan was, you know, what was the, what was the first couple, you know, the first day or two like? Yeah. So we showed up to camp on, uh, Sunday evening, the, the couple of days before my buddy had got married down there. So we were doing that. And, um, so, so we got up there Sunday night and had some time to kind of get everything unpacked and set up and still or- get everything organized, I guess, for the next day, shoot the bow. And, um, you know, we were just going to set out in the morning. We weren't going to get up at like 3 a.m. or something like that and start hiking in the dark because, again, this is our first time out. We really, I had scouted it before, but, you know, I it's one of those things where I didn't want to go too hard too quick. Right. sort of thing so we got settled in spent the night woke up the next morning right about daybreak we weren't trying to get an early early start our, our kind of goal for the first day was to go up that same ridge that i put the trail camera on and get up the tree line so we could glass those two basins on either side so i thought that was about the best we could probably do we could get the binos out just spend some time glassing and Maybe there's, you know, something in one of those two, um, you know, drainages down there. So, so we kind of got up there, it it took us and we were kind of hunting along the way too. So we weren't just like bum rushing up there. So it it probably took us like three, three and a half hours to finally get up there. And we didn't, we saw, you know, some tracks and whatnot. Sign wasn't super great. Any bugles in the distance? You know, no, no, we didn't hear anything. Um, we had, we'd been trying to just do some locating bugles on our end. Um, just firing off a bugle every half hour, you know, as we kind of move through just to see if we get a response. But from what I know, typically your, your bugling is, is, is pretty silent at that time. Um, you know, we, we started, see, that would have been, uh, sorry, uh, September 5th, I think would have been the first day okay. of actually hunting. Yeah. So okay. still kind of early. And I knew that, you know, like I, the main thing we planned this trip out around my buddy's wedding. 
Okay. Because I was actually hunting with my buddy's brother-in-law who was out for the wedding. So it just worked out that week. He was going to be out there. It's like, you know, let's do an elk hunt, you know? So, yep. so that was, so that was the plan. So, um, so yeah, we didn't see anything first morning. We got up glass, had a really good vantage point where we could see a long way, see some like kind of clear cuts where some avalanches had kind of come through. So there was a lot of like, um, kind of younger pine trees with uh, grass mixed in and, you know, rivers and, and streams and all that stuff. So we could see a long ways, but we got up there kind of late in the morning and we just didn't see anything. So we pretty much just did a huge loop. I don't know how many miles we walked day, that day. I think we probably put on like seven, seven or eight miles and um, didn't really do a whole lot of serious hunting that day. It was just more along lines, learn the area, find some sign, which we did. We found some wallows and, and a lot of good tracks and a lot of fresh rubs and, you know, shit everywhere. So, um, first day in my mind was a success nice. and that was pretty much the extent of it. Okay. Um, so that, that evening, no, I mean that evening, you know, closing down, heading back to the, uh, camp, no bugles, no, uh, no activity of any sort. Yeah, nothing. We didn't hear anything. Okay. So, but we, we found, you know, you just get into those areas where it just smells like a barnyard and, oh, yeah. um, you find some beds and whatnot and you're like, wow, the one could be like 50 yards away from us right now. And you never know, but we never spooked anything up, never heard a bugle, never saw anything. So, but you know, it was first day and we looked at it as like, Hey, we, you know, we found some spots to hit up, you know, the following day. Yep, so. Um, so that was day one. All right. Day, let's talk about day two. So day two, um, we'd found that wallow and kind of some good bedding areas kind of, and, 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 uh, kind of little meadows kind of leading to this area. And it was probably about a mile, a little over a mile from the cabin. So it wasn't a terrible, terribly far, but the terrain there, um, we're, we, we, kind of figured out an access route because when you go through dark timber like the whole where we were hunting mainly was just dark um you know spruce timber and there's a lot of blowdowns there's just trees everywhere so to walk through that area you're pretty much just climbing over trees left and right there's no really easy way to get there you're trying to follow game trails whenever you can but there's just really no direct easy route and so we decided the best that would be to drop over to this kind of drainage that we found. There was a small Creek running through there. There was rocks everywhere in it. So it was like slow going, mm -hmm. but it was a direct route once we got there. So that was our strategy. Use that river to access, um, you know, the area that we've kind of found the day before. And, and that was going to be our game plan. So got up early the next morning, started hiking before, before light. Um, didn't get a super early start, probably an hour before light. We started hiking. And we get down to the river and literally I was walking in the river for probably five minutes and I come up to this log and I jump up on the log and jump down, which was a stupid move. You should never jump off of like a log or something down onto rocks. But anyways, I did that cause we were kind of in a rush, whatever. And I rolled my ankle Oh, pretty Jesus, darn bad, man. bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Oh my God, I second day, I'm already, you know, just the second morning and I basically sprained my ankle. 
Um, yeah. It was the point where the pain was pretty darn bad. I had some Tylenol with me and um, my buddy, or he had some Tylenol. So I took that and just, I was like, man, I can't, I just got to grind through this. I can't, Yeah. I'm not going back to the cabin, I guess is, is what it, what it stayed, but pain was pretty darn bad. It was starting to swell up and it was a super bummer. And we hunted, hunted that morning and we got into some bugles that morning. Um, and I'm just hobbling around and, and just trying to, <laughs> trying to do my best and fight through the pain, but it, it sucked, um, yeah. sort of thing. So, um, we hunted the rest of that morning and didn't see anything, just heard like two faint bugles total. Yeah. The weather kind of turned nasty, started getting rainy. So we thought maybe, you know, that, that could help kind of get some things moving, but, um, you know, didn't see anything all that morning and went up a little bit further and kind of had lunch up on this top of this kind of ravine sort of thing. And, so, uh, so when you went out, were you guys out all day long or did you guys at some point come back to the cabin for like a, a little break and then go back out again? Or when you were out, you're out for the whole day. Yeah, that was the game plan. Stay out all day. The first day, that's what we did. We didn't come back till dark. The, um, so the, so the next, and, and that's what I wanted to do. I mean, the more miles and the more time you're out there, the better, um, right. you know, you only got a week hunt pack in some food, keep your water, you know, with you. And just whether you take a nap out there at the cabin, you know, anytime you're out there, you're in the game. And, um, so so that was the plan not to come back. But so this was on the second day, this is probably about two, two o'clock somewhere in there. And I just told that I was like, man, I, I can't, I can't walk anymore today. Like I got, I got to get back to the cabin. It's just, the pain was, to the point where I just couldn't really think straight, I guess. Um, and I, I just, I just knew I needed to get off it. If I wanted, I just wanted to get the pressure off the, the leg. If I wanted to be able to hunt, you know, the next, the following days, you know, so I didn't want to like screw it up anymore where I was doing more harm than good by staying out there. Right. So right. I, I was at this point, I was probably a mile, we were probably a mile and a half from the, from the cabin. And I was like, dad, you know, you go hunt the rest of the day, you know, where you're going, I'm going to head back to the cabin. So, um, he taught me a walking stick and I basically took me like three and a half hours to hobble back to the cabin. And, um, so I got back there before it got dark and then he hunted the rest of the night and he didn't see anything that night either. So he got back and, you know, that was, that was the end of day two. Gotcha. So were the, were the elk, in the area working their way back and forth and you guys just weren't hitting it at the right time or, or what, do, what do you think they were doing? Yeah, we don't really know. I, I ended up putting a trail camera out that, that, uh, that next day or so the Tuesday, the day I rolled my ankle, the second day I put that camera back out on that wallow and man, there was just tracks everywhere. It just smelled like elk. There was rubs. I, we couldn't really nail it down as to why we didn't see any that day. It was just really puzzling that we didn't at least just kick one up or spook one, you know? Right. I mean, right. the amount of miles that we put on and just the sign that we were seeing, we were just kind of like dumbfounded almost. Like we didn't even right. spook a cow or something, you know? So we really didn't know. And, and, uh, I put that camera out and, um, you know, I checked it at the end of the week 
after I'd killed my, or no, it was the morning of before I killed my bull. We checked it on that Friday and there was like one cow and one six by six bull, both during daylight. Um, you know, but it wasn't for the sign that was out there. Maybe they just weren't using that wallow or maybe they were just coming through at night or whatever. But, um, yeah, we were kind of dumbfounded as to why we didn't see any, at least the second day. So I don't know. Who knows? So day three is how, what day was your, was your kill day? My kill day was Friday last, last evening. Um, The very last Saturday the very last, last evening last. of of the hunt yeah yeah okay. last 20 minutes of light yeah all right so let's let's talk um you know because we've already been on this for an hour but uh let's uh <laughs> let's talk about the you know let's you know give a kind of a, a, a abbreviated version of like day three and day four you know with no kill okay, and then you killed the last 20 minutes of day five right yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, uh, tell us what day three and day four were like, and maybe the morning of day five. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, maybe it's a two-part thing to this podcast, but I can give the short rundown because a lot of stuff happened. But anyways, um, so I'd hurt my ankle. I was like, I can't barely even walk. So we drove down to town, and my buddy had an ankle brace at his house. So I was like, well, that's at least going to help me walk around and, and whatnot. So um, anyways, he... I got the ankle brace. We didn't hunt that morning. Um, came back up to the cabin, got back up in the afternoon. And I was like, well, I still want to go out, but I don't, I don't want to just sit at the cabin, even though I was in a lot of pain and I just, I wasn't going to be doing the hiking that I was doing the first day, you know, sort of thing. So, so anyways, I decided to drive to a spot from the cabin that was about an hour away and looked like some of these meadows that, you know, Hey, I'm just going to, park in the parking lot, walk in this meadow half mile and we'll set up there. And, um, this is a different buddy that came up with me that evening. He's like, Oh, I'll come hunting with you tonight. So anyways, I was like, well, I'm probably not going to see a damn thing out here because I'm just going to this open meadow less than a half a mile from the parking lot. And we'll see what happens. I ran into another hunter at the parking lot. He was going a different way. So we went to this meadow and just set up so we could oversee the whole kind of draw and see maybe if one came through there, we'd see it sort of thing. So I wasn't feeling too confident about it. So, but anyways, we sat there and last half hour of light, I see two out come out of the top corner. And I was like, man, holy crap. You know, there they are. This is the first elk yeah. of the trip. And I didn't ex- expect to see anything that night. I was just expecting just to get out. Um, right. And so anyways, I, I thought they were two cows at first or no, I thought one was a cow and one was a spike. And I was like, well, I got a cow tag. I can't shoot that spike, but you know, Hey, I'll I'll shoot that cow if it comes in or I get a shot at it, whatever. So, um, so anyways, uh, long story short, I, I put, put the binos on them a little bit better and I'm like, Whoa, the ones, you know, they're both bulls and one's uh, at least got four on one side, if not five. So I was like, wow, you know, I'm, I got to try this, you know, sort of thing. So I, uh, from hunting Kansas, I had a decent amount of experience spotting stock. Yeah. And, um, I knew these bulls weren't going to come right through where I was sitting. So, um, I knew if I wanted to get a shot, I was going to have to stalk them. And they were just, so they just came out and they were feeding and just kind of milling around or whatever, um, on this grass. 
So I put a game plan together. My buddy stayed where he was at. And I just dropped down into this little creek in front of me, followed that over, got up the other side. I could still see they were out there eating. And at that point, I was probably 150 yards away from them. Okay. So I was like, wow, you know, moving in here. And uh, I knew I couldn't attack them from that angle. So I had to drop back down into another little draw. And um, I kind of got over to where I wanted to be. And at that point, I was like 100, like 90. I think I ranged them at like 90 yards. Okay. And uh, so I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm in them. Um, so I, at that point, I knew I couldn't go any further. I just had no cover between me and them. They were just out there feeding in the open grass. And I was kind of just tucked in this little draw, I guess. So I decided to drop back into the draw, get out of sight, pick up the cow call and just start mewing and to see if they come over. Um, So I hit the cow call real quick and nothing. I'm waiting there for like a couple minutes, uh, three, four minutes or whatever. And and at this point it's getting close to where I'm running out of light. So I was like, man, they're not coming over. I don't know what to do. Um, so anyways, I come back up out of the draw and they're right there at like 40 yards. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, so I picked the bigger one, ranged him at, uh, I think it was 42 yards, drew back and nailed him right behind, right behind the shoulder, broadside, you know, mid body. Awesome. One hit. Um, so I was like, just, I, irate you know i was just ecstatic you know shot my first elk and my buddy seen the whole thing go down so that was really cool but anyways uh long story short it only got probably 12 inches of penetration so i was kind of like uncertain if i got both lungs so um he after i hit him he kind of ran in some circles i thought he was going to go down right there but Anyways, he kind of just walked up into the back corner of the field, and I just lost sight of him. So I was like, well, let's give him some time. I know it was a good shot placement, but I just the penetration wasn't there. Right. So I called my other buddy, Thad, who I'd been hunting with, and we go back to the cabin, get him, come back like two hours later, and start trailing blood. Got good lung blood. It's just, you know, not great, but, you know, I know he's only bleeding out one side. So, yep. um, but had good bubbly blood, whatever. We ended up tracking him for three hours that night and couldn't find him. Um, Tracked him up to his first bed, and he bedded down. We didn't know if he bumped him or what happened, but he he bedded down there, had a lot of blood in the bed, but he wasn't in the bed. So we made the decision at 12 o'clock at night to just back out. We'll come back the next morning. So that's how day three ended. Okay. So um, Morning of day four. Day four, picked up the blood trail the next morning, uh, basically searched another four hours for him, kept following blood, kept following blood. Before he bedded the night before, he, the arrow fell out. So okay. as the arrow, I could see that, only 12 inches of penetration, nothing that I didn't know, but we found the arrow. So I was like, well, yeah. that's probably not good because now he's probably going to clot up. And uh, it probably wasn't, you know, it's not going to be a fatal hit. But anyways, we yeah. kept tracking him day uh, till about two that day um you know five six hours probably ended up total being and uh got him got to his next bed where he finally laid down and he wasn't in it there was some blood in there but after that bed it clotted up and we just couldn't couldn't find anything yeah. couldn't find any blood so 
at this point I'm at the lowest of low, you know, yeah. I went from the highest, yeah. I went from great, you know, rolling my ankle to then going out, shooting an out, my first out to spending the night, not knowing what's going to come the next day. And then day four, Thursday afternoon, we lost him. And, you know, now I'm just devastated, you know, sort of thing. So <laughs> Damn. I thought it was all going to come together you know, right there. I was like, this is going to be the greatest story ever told sort of thing. You know, if I pulled that off, it was just the stock, the, every, the shot, everything was perfect, you know? And real, after all that, quick, I went through, you know? Real, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I understand real quick. Yeah. What, I, as you're drawing back on your, you know, on your very first bull elk, what was, yeah. you know, what was going in, through your head at, at that point? Man, I, it's, it's, I definitely got elk fever. I can tell you that. Um, yeah. It just, you ner- I was, I was nervous. I mean, and I think that's what ended up, you know, playing into me having the composure I needed to end up killing the bull I did. But, um, you know, that first time of anything, you're just, you're a wreck. Um, yeah. At least I was, I was shaking. I was, I felt like a newbie hunter again, but yeah, just seeing him in the, in the pins and they, they had no idea I was there. I pulled off stock perfectly and got in right where I needed to be. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just amazing. I just couldn't believe I'd got to that point, you know, where I could actually get a shot at these bulls. And it was, it was awesome. You got to experience right. it yeah, <laughs> to really that, know, that's, I guess. That's, that's my goal. That's my goal. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you ended up losing him. What, uh, what was, you know, you know, it's kind of a somber ride back to the cabin for, uh, you know, that, you know, did you, were you able to hunt that night back at the cabin or did you go somewhere else or what, or what was the deal? Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said, feeling pretty down, got back to the cabin late afternoon and we're like, well, we don't want to go back to that same spot, but there were some other meadows in that area that were, you know, decently easy to get to where we weren't going to have to, you know, walk a couple hours to get in more like a half hour walk, you know, 45 minutes. So, uh, so we ended up going to a different meadow in that similar area, setting up uh, me and Thad and we didn't see, we saw some mule deer and, and that was it. So um, we didn't see anything Thursday at all. Um, So, So, yeah. So then then you head back to the cabin and, uh, yeah. So what was the, what was the game plan for, for Friday, which was your, the last day of the hunt? So Friday morning, uh, kind of didn't really know what to do. We, I knew I wanted to get back to that same meadow, the, the night, you know, the one that I killed the bull out, or shot the bull out of and didn't find. I, I just had a good feeling about that spot and it was, again easy to get to because of my ankle so i was like um let's go let's go to where we kind of went the first couple days to that area and just see maybe we just missed a couple days of activity there or just missed it so let's go try that spot out in the morning and if we don't see anything during that kind of morning and early afternoon we're gonna head back to the cabin we're gonna go to that meadow right so that was the plan um one thing i did forget to mention on when I was hobbling back to camp after by myself, after I rolled my ankle, I ended up losing my quiver with all my arrows in it. So <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry for laughing, but you have some terrible luck, man. 
<laughs> oh man, it was it was bad. Um, so I ended up losing all my quivers, so or losing all the arrows in my quiver because um, the whole quiver fell off my bow while I was craw- crawling under something or doing whatever. I had my bow on my backpack, and uh, so anyways, I part of the plan was to go back and get that trail camera I'd hung and then also um, try to find my quiver maybe on one of the trails or something that I was going on. But so anyways, uh, we didn't find it, picked up the trail camera and then, and then headed out. So I was already using a backup bow. I was having to use, I ended up using um, rage broadheads expandables. I was going to shoot fixed blades. because i wanted that extra penetration you know because of because of the bow i was using now i wasn't um so that was kind of another thing against me having to use broadheads i didn't really want to use there's i mean they're still good i ended up killing an elk with it but um yeah but uh so yeah friday afternoon we didn't really get into anything headed back to the cabin and then went back to that same meadow we didn't end up getting up there probably till about like five, five thirty. So a couple hours, a couple hours before um, dark. And so me and my buddy Thad, I was like, Hey, this is where they came out that, that night. I ended up putting the shot on that one bull left set up. So you're on one side of the, of the opening and I'm on the other. We're gonna, literally going to sit 75 yards apart. So anything that comes through there, if something comes through there, one of us is going to have a shot. So that was kind of our game plan last night. Hail Mary. Let's do this sort of thing. Um, so anyways, we're sitting there, hadn't seen a damn thing the whole night up until probably, yeah, 20, 25 minutes before, uh, before dark and, uh, look over, I hear some crashing, look over to my right, about 50 yards away. There's two cows coming right at me. And I was like, Oh yeah, here we go. Gonna, gonna put some meat in the freezer. And, um, so they came right at, I was doing some cow calling earlier in the day or earlier, you know, probably a half hour before that. So I don't know if they heard that or whatnot, but so anyways, they came, they came out and literally came right to my tree. Um, okay. three yards away, they were standing right there. Um, I'm kind of tucked in this little cedar, not cedar tree, a little spruce tree and they can't see me, but where I walked in, they came so close where I walked in to hide under that tree they caught my scent on the ground of walking in. So I'm downwind of them, but they caught some scent, got spooked and kind of ran off at like 25 yards and just stood there. So I'm ready to pop one of these cows. And all of a sudden to my right, I hear some more crashing. So I look over and that bull steps out and I could not believe it. You know, I mean, just a giant bull. He's a six by seven. He ended up scoring three twelve. Um, wow. So a, a big, you know, bull, especially for an over the counter unit. Um, and he did the same thing. So he comes, he comes out of the timber and comes right at me. Same, same deal. He gets to three yards away, and he's, I mean, a giant animal like that standing that close to you is pretty unreal. I was just. <laughs> I kept it together somehow. Um, I think because it all happened so quick, you know, and I had the experience from a couple of days before, but anyways, he does the same thing. He gets boogered up and, um, he starts to trot off. He gets out to about 25 yards, slows up and I just nail him, um, awesome. at 20, 25 yards, right through the lungs. And, um, you know, at this point I just, 
couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, did that, that actually just happen? So he runs off. I could see the arrow in him. Arrow falls out. I'm using a lighted knock so I could see it. I knew exactly where I hit. I was like, man, that was a good shot. My buddy saw the whole thing go down, which is even cooler. And, uh, so he, uh, so we meet up and we're like, Oh my God, you know, I think I just got him. I got him. And he had heard a big crash and a couple of like, uh, uh, you know, those sort of things like a, like a last breath sort of thing. Yeah. So I feel pretty confident that he heard that. I couldn't hear him go down or whatever, but he kind of ran off towards him. So at this point we're like, man, let's just try to find some blood, check out the arrow, you know, um, and we'll give him some time, but let's, let's track him down to this, track him down to this little Creek, you know, and if we we're finding good blood till then, we'll just stop and wait. If we still haven't found him, you know, we'll just kind of let him lay for a half hour and then we'll, we'll go after it. So we started tracking at this point, the flashlights weren't quite working, but you know, it's light enough where you could still see. Right. So, um, so we got down to the Creek and I was like, man, good blood, good blood, lung blood everywhere, just bubbly. Um, and I was like, man, dad, look at, look at this tree, this, this bush, it's just covered, absolutely covered in blood. And, um, he's like, he's like, there he is. He's laying right there. And like, literally we about <laughs> stepped on him before, <laughs> before we, uh, before we found him. So, um, gosh, just seeing that and, and walking up to that, to that bowl of, of that size and and knowing all the stuff that kind of happened from my bow breaking to rolling my ankle to losing my arrows and hitting the bull and not finding it and then now seeing him laying there dead it i just can't even describe it it was just unreal i was like pinch me i'm 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 dreaming sort of thing so (laughs) it was nuts it was it was awesome so it was a you know just like an overwhelming emotional experience i mean I've, I, I've, I've had a couple scenarios like that where this one particular buck where I, I had been chasing for five years steps out, I shoot him, I can't find him, but I thought, you know, I, it looked to me like a good hit and I had like this emotional breakdown. <laughs> in, yeah. In yeah. What, yeah. what was kind of going through your mind? What, what were the emotions that you were feeling when you, you know, you know, you ended up being able to touch him and grab him and put your hands on his antlers. I, I mean, it was like, it was like shooting my 150 Kansas buck, you know, times like five. I mean, it was just, just to be able to get it done in that week. And I don't know. It's, I mean, you, you know, it, you, you kind of understand it if you hunt um, or you do understand it. It's just, it's different for everybody, but yeah, I mean, it was just a, I was like, wow, everything came together. I was just, we we're hugging, high-fiving, you know, doing the typical stuff that everybody does, but it was, it was just so surreal, you know, to be able to, and, and they're just so big of an animal and the animal that I killed, I mean, a 300 inch bull, um, on over counter public land, um, first time archery hunting, it's, I didn't really know what I had done, you know, that's, yeah not the norm um sort of thing so it was even more heightened because of everything that happened and how big of a bull it was you know right right so it was just crazy so so uh so now you had uh about a thousand pounds of work to do (laughs) 
what, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. talk, talk us through, you know, obviously a lot of us have gut a deer or caped a deer or took the meat out of a deer, but what's it like doing something that, you know, is maybe five times larger than a deer? Yeah, it's, it's completely different. I mean, it, there's a lot of different things that go into it. Just how big of an animal you can't really roll them around like you, you can a deer. I mean, I was hunting with Thad and we're both, you know, pretty strong guys. And it took us everything we had just to get him out of this little, he died in some nasty kind of just thick brush down by this Creek. So it took us about everything we had to get him like drug 15, 20 yards just to, you know, be able to gut him because we weren't going to be able to gut him there. So it was just like pulling like five feet at a time and stop <laughs> sort of thing, yeah. you know, to get him out of that. So we, anyways, we got, we got him out and, uh, I called, we drug him like 20 yards and I called my, uh, buddy Sam and, and, uh, Gareth who lived in, and, uh, lived down there in the town. And I was like, man, got a bull down. Can you guys come up here and help? And, um, they're like, no way, dude, you didn't get one. And they're like, I'm like, yeah. So I sent them the pictures and, uh, they come up. And, um, so anyways, meanwhile, while they're driving up, Thad and I are gutting this thing and, um, you know, big props to Thad. He was a huge help cause he's elk hunted before and he knew, you know, what to do and how to do it. So yeah, we pretty much just gutted him out like a regular deer and, and, um, uh, you know, pulled all the guts out and, and, uh, yeah, that was how we did it. Um, how but far, the, how far of a pack job was it to, from where he ended up dying to, to the truck? So here's, here's the crazy thing. I was hunting that spot because I just couldn't walk very far. So yeah, I picked an easy place to hunt based on my physical conditions of, you know, limitations, I guess, um, you know, of not, not wanting to go too far in. So where I killed him was less than a half mile from the, uh, where I parked the truck and it was all nice. downhill meadow, you know, grass, not like we we're yeah. going over logs and stuff downhill meadow all the way to the parking lot so <laughs> we're like well that was like man we should try pulling this thing out whole like just dragging him yeah and um so that's what we did we had uh, like i said two of my buddies came up so we had four of us cut some branches and hooked up some rope to the antlers and we drug that thing out whole took us uh took us about an hour and a half probably but we drug him out whole and got him in the back of my truck and hung up that night at the cabin. It was crazy. Wow. Wow. So, <laughs> so normally so, you're, you're doing a quartering and you know, that whole thing and yeah. you know, packing out that way, but <laughs> just everything worked out in a perfect scenario where we could drag him out. And like, that's not real life either. I mean, no one does that, <laughs> but, <laughs> Man, but it happened epic. on the hunt. This is epic. I mean, this is like uh, something you're never going to forget. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's now, crazy. Every just be prepared everything. for the next, like, uh, you know, the next uh, four uh, hunting elk hunting seasons to be <laughs> completely brutal. Like the Oh, worst. man. I'm expecting that, man. And if it happens, if I don't kill an elk the next couple of years, I, you know, it's going to take a while for me to wipe this smile off my face. I mean, Right. Just the, the way this worked out, I mean, I I could really not care less that I don't get anything, but I mean, geez, this is a bowl of 
of really a lifetime, you know, um, yeah. to happen on my first hunt, really first week hunting. Perfect. So yeah, I've, uh, <laughs> I know my luck is, uh, has been pretty good. So I've, if, if, uh, things don't go exactly as planned in the next couple of years, I'm not going to sweat it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Congratulations, man. And, uh, you know, that, that whole, that whole first, you know, that just how everything happened. Awesome story. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show and, uh, talking to us about it. And, uh, again, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. And, uh, um, yeah, the main thing, just if I can give one last advice to anybody, you're going to have your ups and downs, whether what happens, whether you break your bow, lose your arrows, roll an ankle, get hurt, just stay in the game. You know, it's going to be tough. Stay out there. Um, and just keep hunting. Cause if you're at the cabin or at the truck or not out there, nothing's going to happen. And I think persistence really paid off in this thing. Um, a lot of luck uh, went into it, but um, you know, just staying out there and staying persistent really is what got it done. So yeah, right. thanks again for having me, Dan. It's been great. Real quick. Um, why don't you let, I mean, you also have a blog that where you share your stories as well. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can go to read up more on this story? Yeah. So I'll have a full story posted here pretty soon. Um, the, the site I run is called transition wild. So just go to transitionwild.com. And essentially what the website is, is a blog kind of highlighting my, um, kind of new adventure moving from Michigan to Colorado and how everything's different and, you know, preparing differently and different gear and all the different things that, that, uh, it's kind of like that transition from a Michigan whitetail hunter to now a Colorado Western big game hunter. So I document everything on there. I keep that really up to date. So yeah, check that out. Transitionwild.com. Perfect. All right. Thanks again, man. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Dan. And there you have it, another week of podcast signed, sealed, and delivered right to your ears from my mouth. And um, huge shout out and a congratulations to Adam. Uh, that's the stud bull. Uh, you can see pictures on Facebook and on uh, the website. Make sure you guys uh, go check out his blog at uh, Transition Wild. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Oh, sponsor well thank you guys first and foremost for tuning in and uh, i say this every podcast but thank you guys thank you thank you thank you uh like i said if it wasn't uh you know if it wasn't uh for you guys i would not uh be having the success that i'm that i'm having uh thank you for that uh what else what else if you guys don't already follow me on social media check me out on facebook Instagram and Twitter. Um, if you guys want to be on my podcast, either for a product review or a hunter profile podcast, uh, contact me through Facebook. Uh, or if you know someone who may be a, a little bit too shy to uh, reach out to me themselves, but uh, has uh, some cool uh, hunting stories, hit me up. And uh, another huge shout out to uh, to the sponsors. Um, you know. Obviously, this podcast and the website and all that stuff costs money, and they uh, help balance that out. Uh, so huge shout-out to Exodus Outdoor Gear, Exodus Trail Cameras, and then uh, huge shout-out to Deer Lab uh, and their software. Um, you guys have heard me talk about that before, but I have a special landing page with them, so visit 
DeerLab.com backslash nine fingers and you guys can get a 30 day trial period of that software for no charge and uh it you help you upload your uh you know trail camera pictures to it and it helps you uh long story short it can help you forecast where deer movement will be and help you find hot spots on your property and it, it may uh, even lead to uh you harvesting a buck of a lifetime so uh there's that and guys, if if you zone out during this podcast, that's fine. If you don't pay attention to any of this podcast, that's okay with me. But this part that I'm about to say, man, I, you are, I've already heard guys falling out of the tree stands. And uh, I heard a story the other day of a guy who fell out of a tree stand. And uh, luckily, he only, he only broke his femur. Um, he didn't. He wasn't wearing a safety harness. He broke his femur, and if you guys know, uh, that's the one of the biggest bones in your body, uh, and it could have been avoided with a safety harness. Um, luckily, he'll probably be able to walk again, but uh, there's guys out there who uh, will never walk or, have unfortunately, uh, suffered much worse. So uh, I hate to end on a, on a down note, but it's that time of year. So wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.